millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome along to the first second captains at the Irish Times of the shortened working week. And what a story to kick things off. Shortly after 8 o'clock this morning, Manchester United confirmed that David Moyes is no longer their manager. Not too many bells or whistles to the statement. Manchester United has announced that David Moyes has left the club. The club would like to place on it on record its thanks for the hard work, honesty and integrity he brought to the role. And that was just about it. Ken, that came after we all knew about it yesterday once all the journalists had leaked everything. Or well, they hadn't leaked it. I mean, they'd reported it. That's what journalists do after it had been leaked to them in some way. Your initial reaction, if you can remember, when you read and heard that David Moyes was sacked. Honestly? Yeah, yeah, honestly. Well, I wouldn't, why would I ask for a dishonest answer? Well, I was sitting in the car on the way back up from Wicklow. I wasn't driving the car. Uh, and, I, and I thought, well, I wonder if the Irish Times put up my, um, put up my piece about Jose Mourinho. Uh, and his systems failure at Chelsea. Good piece. And I thought, oh, thanks, Alan, thanks. <laughs> You're one of the only people who read it because, <laughs> uh, because having, having puzzled for a while over the wording of this tweet, uh, had to, had to get in what I wanted to say in the 140 char- character limit, and pu- puzzling over for a while. When I pressed uh, send tweet, <laughs> I then looked at Twitter and saw that. It was just about. It happened to be just about a quarter past two on, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on Monday afternoon, and it turned out that I I picked a pretty bad time to tweet my little article, <laughs> uh, because the entire world uh, was just uh, hearing about the fact that David Moyes would lose his job. Although Manchester United had not commented, David Moyes is about to lose his job any minute now as Manchester United manager. Of course, it's Easter Monday, public holiday. Can't sack him face to face today. Going to have to wait for him to come into work tomorrow to sack him face to face. But. Uh, don't uh, worry, no doubt about it, he's gone. Were you shocked once you did hear it, after you got over your initial... A disappointment and irritation at mm. my little tweet being washed away in this uh, torrent of David Moyes-related news. You know, I wasn't shocked. I, 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 was, I thought, well, um, I wonder why they've waited till now. Yeah, it's funny, though. I do find this kind of news, no matter how predictable it is, mm. 
is somehow still shot when it when it happens. It's, it's still huge. Manchester United manager gets well, particularly Manchester United manager because this hasn't happened many in, times in, in, yeah, in certainly our lifetimes recently. In, in, in used to happen a bit more often oh, yeah, than before. To, yeah. Not quite as much patience back then. With they the did sack all the managers. previous managers yeah. in between in between Busby and Ferguson. They sacked all those guys. Funny enough, I had a, an experience. It was slightly different to yours, but the first I heard of it, Ken, I was actually I was fairly on the ball. Yes, I was reading a lot of stuff uh, on Twitter and elsewhere. And I think I was thinking this is good. I'm getting I'm getting back into you know we're we're delaying the shows until Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, so I'm going to use Monday just to get right on top of all the stories so that we can talk about it. You're fishing around for what might be interesting. Uh, I left to go for a bit of lunch, pick up uh, a couple of things. Then I get a text from you <laughs> talking talking about David Boys being sacked. And I was like, going, but I just by the time I got back to Twitter, it must have only been about an hour after the news broke. Yeah. I was already being treated on Twitter, like not not me specifically, but people like me who were just coming late to the party being treated like people who weren't invited and yeah. almost scoffed at and laughed at for not seeing the story before. Now, yeah. there were tweets going up along the lines of, um, yes, thank you, Twitter. We're well aware now that David Moyes has been sacked. Yeah. Uh, and you all, don't like it, turn off your station. And so That's many, what I would say to those people. Yeah, so many stupid jokes have been made by this point that the jokes were now being made about the bad jokes. Are being, I was thinking, this is incredible. You leave, you leave your computer for an hour and you might as well... I have just no connection with the story anymore. Yeah. But I was so, I still had that somewhat shocked feeling when I received that text. Let say. Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel sorry for him. But, you know, that it's, it's an illustration of this, the whole, the, the fundamental problem that David Moyes had. I mean, give him time was, the, was really the only argument in favour of keeping him. But you see how compressed time now is. You know, everyone heard about this story within seconds. You know, literally, I, I mean, I imagine that, that, that story was, <clears throat> excuse me, Broken by several news outlets simultaneously at about a quarter past two. Mm-hmm. Everybody who saw it immediately told everybody they knew who might be interested. And within, I guess, 15 minutes. <laughs> who's Every, everybody besides me knew. Who's left who hasn't heard about it? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's how, that's how quickly the news uh, now spreads. And then you get this whole layer of reaction to the news and where did Moyes go wrong? And, you know, already then a couple of hours later, the story is... Who's it going to be next? You know, you know, Moyes is already history. And this is all happening within the space of a couple of hours on a bank holiday. Whereas 25 years ago, literally nobody would have known. You know, the couple of journalists who knew would have been keeping it under their hat until the printing presses started rolling that, uh, that evening. You know, nobody, nobody would have known. Eventually the news would have started filtering slowly out. People would have been saying to each other. People might have still been finding out about it um, you know, like the like those Japanese soldiers in World War Two. You know, in the nineteen seventies, turning up in these islands in the Indonesian archipelago, still fighting, thinking they're fighting the Second World War. So people would still have been finding out about it for the first time on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's how slowly time moved. Then, I mean, compared, you know, time uh, you could you 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 packed a lot more days into the same space mm. of time, if you know what I mean. So when you talk about giving David Moyes time, he's already had plenty of time to show that this wasn't going to work. It's like one of those things where everybody's more or less agreed. It's not going to happen. And it's and, and since a manager is like a, a political leader, since he depends uh, on the belief of the people he's supposedly leading, like any leader, you know, the, it's leadership is like a, a, a kind of a magical thing. Or not magical is the wrong word, but it is a, it's a kind of an imaginary or mental construct. You have to, people are following the leader sort of of their own will. But if nobody believes in him, he can't, you know, he's finished. You know, there's, there's no way for him to survive. And nobody believed in David Moyes anymore. It was clear. I mean, when, when Danny you say nobody, Welbeck, you're talking about the players. The players. Yeah. Well, the supporters. I mean, I know that there were some people who 
<laughs> having having uh, stated their position at the very beginning, we're going to support Moyes and, you know, loyalty is what this club is about. That's the heartbeat of this club. You know, obviously they were defending their own position to the to the bitter end. You know, I mean, they, they didn't want to admit they were wrong. Um, so you still had those kind of people, uh, but not not really many of them. And when someone like Danny Welbeck is announcing... Is, is making it known that he's considering his future at the club. That's a canary in the coal mine <laughs> moment, Joe. Danny Welbeck has turned on you now. Yeah. I mean, Danny Welbeck, remember, was out. Uh, I don't know if, if these things are related on. I know that his, his first team opportunities have not been as plentiful as he would have liked at this sensitive stage of his career. But when Danny Welbeck is... Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, after the Bayern Munich game, there's photos of him... Was it Chris Smalling? I don't want to say it was because I can't remember. But certainly Welbeck out in Manchester, you know, because they've been knocked out of the Champions League. I suppose he's entitled to a night out. Why not? Uh, out in Manchester. And he was disciplined by David Moyes, you know, um, for this late night appearance on the street. Uh, you know, a week later he wants to leave. When he's saying he wants to leave, Welbeck, who's this guy, he's a U-team guy, a Manchester lad, a Manchester United fan. It's always been his dream to play for Manchester United. When he's saying he wants to go, then you've got a problem. Yeah, there was uh, it, uh, the best of the the bad jokes, Ken. Yeah. I think was probably, I'm sure, I, can't oh, I really should be attributing this to somebody. I'm, it's not mine, though. That's the one thing. I'm not stealing this from somebody else and passing off on my own. Somebody on Twitter who I follow yeah. said that um, they're looking forward now to David Moyes grabbing the microphone at Old Trafford and imploring the supporters to support, <laughs> support the next manager. <laughs> manager, which was pretty good. I'll tell you one person who didn't quite see where which way the wind was blowing over the weekend, and that was Jim Rosenthal, now, oh, yeah. now a presenter on MUTV. Yeah. You, have you heard about this? Oh, I did, yeah. So David May is on there, being a pundit. Apparently, The da- outspoken David May. The outspoken David May is on there. David um, shoots from the hip. <laughs> May the Tim Sherwood of MUTV. And he claimed... That this is after the Everton defeat, claimed that David Moyes is out of his depth. Mm. And he also said that he's not tactically good enough when responding to a caller's question, at which point he was cut off by the show's presenter, Jim Rosenthal. I, I, heard, I saw cut off also referred to as hushed up by Jim Rosenthal. I can't currently find, MTV seems to have deleted any uh, evidence of this from the, uh, yeah. from the internet. But the MTV, M- MTV do have those... Um those totalitarian news ethics. They don't like... Uh, I mean, they've, they're, mo- they're most famous for the things that they've hushed up. Yeah, well, the yeah. Roy Keane thing. <laughs> Can you imagine the reaction of the MUTV producers when Roy Keane was doing that? <laughs> Anything remotely interesting ever happens at MUTV, they immediately rush to silence it. Um, in this case, I don't know. If, apparently, David May is suspended, so maybe they're going to unsuspend him now that it turns out that... That would be fair, Apparently, the Glazer family and Ed Woodward and all those people, and Alex Ferguson, maybe, mm. agree with him. David May or David Moyes out of his depth, left his water wings on the beach and, you know, no way back. No way back from here. We're going to talk to Gabriele Mercotti uh, in just a moment, plus full second captain's football coming out later today. There'll be loads of uh, loads of reaction to the David Moyes story and how we move it on, or how they move it on um, during that show. Also on today's programme, Jerry Thorny and Liam Tolan are going to preview Toulon against Munster because that's on next Sunday, which already is shaping up as one of those days where you wonder, stresses me out, Ken, how am I going to fit all this sport in? There's so much sport on, and uh, how am I going to watch it all? So, alone, you've got an amazing Sunday of football. Sky already hyped it up. Sky, The Sky presenter actually said, um, on one, at one stage over the weekend, they gave that little list, you know, the graphics pop up of each of the matches they're on next weekend. And I was thinking, oh no, I think I've got something on on Sunday. I can't quite remember what it was. And Then he said, whatever you have on next Sunday, cancel it immediately. And I mm-hmm. thought... 
Yeah, I think I think that's good advice. Actually, whatever it was, and I can't remember what it was exactly. I'll, I'll just cancel. See, that's it leadership from Sky. That's leadership from Sky. You know, just don't 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 present your viewers with a bewildering array of options. Well, the only thing about so it, you it is, tell them what to do. I might have to switch off Sky for a while to turn on. Well, no, to turn on another one of their stations to watch Toulon against Munster. Mm. <laughs> watch that also on Sky. But then Dublin are playing Derry in the Allianz League final as well. So there's yeah. hell of a lot going on. I'm sure we'll talk about all of those later on in the in the week. The couple of clashes that there might be time-wise there. But Gabriele Mercotti joins us now. Gabriele, uh, the match against Everton was clearly one of many low points, but uh, he was still in a job before that. Was it that defeat that cost him, do you think? Was it the Liverpool defeat a few weeks back? At what point did the Manchester United hierarchy lose faith in David Moyes? Well, I don't know. Some people even go all the way back to uh, February in that horrible defeat to uh, to Olympiacos, uh, suggesting that uh, the decision was made then, and then, then they, they waited until uh, until now to save themselves some money um, with uh, with letting him go. Um, it, it's a tough one because, again, outwardly, you know, they they'd always uh, remained on message saying that. Uh, you know, that they had faith in Moyes and they could weather one season without the Champions League. Um, I, I just thought it was one thing which, which struck me was the news, obviously, that he was going to be sacked was obviously leaked by the club yesterday. And evidence of that is that every news outlet had it at the same time and reported it at the same time. Um, and that just kind of makes me think, you know, what's the purpose of that? You know, why not? You know, spare yourselves those those twenty four hours and behave with a bit more dignity, and simply make the announcement. You know, make it an official announcement at the right time. I think the suggestion. Well, one suggestion I've heard, uh, Gabriele, from a colleague of ours, is that um, the newspapers had had or the, the Manchester journalists had kind of discovered this, and it was going to be today's news. Um, it but was going to be Monday's. Uh, it's going, going to be Tuesday's. News. Going to be Tuesday's news headlines uh, in the papers, but um, that. You know, maybe some of the fanzines. I mean, it's not just as we know the traditional media; they cover these things anymore, and they ran, ran the risk of being scooped on the on the sensational story. So they all decided, all right, let's go ahead and, and break this. And then Manchester United were left in the position of, well, this is a bit awkward. We're now going to have to let David Moyes dangle for eighteen hours. Yeah, see, I, I heard that too. But then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The Glazers own the club, and the Glazers don't speak to anybody, and. You know, you, you'd expect that Joel and Avram and, and whoever it is make the decision. Um, you know, it's it's their it's their final say, and until they say it's done, it's not done. So, I I, I don't know. I I I have an alternate theory um, about this, and I don't think it was handled very well. Go on, uh, Gabriele. What's your theory? Pardon? I'm purely speculating here. I suspect that somebody who is going to stick around um, after Moyes is gone um, wants to, you know, wanted to to basically, you know, make sure that he he did the media a favor by by, by leaking, uh, mm. by not leaking the story, by 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 letting it come out. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely say that uh, Manchester United seem a lot more porous to the media these days. You, you hear stories kind of coming out of there that that wasn't the case in the old days when. When uh, David Gill and Alex Ferguson were uh, running the club, but I mean, what about the the the, the values of this club, um, the stability, uh, the loyalty, the patience um, that Alex Ferguson had had preached? You know, even in his his, his uh, speech at the very end uh, to the stadium, and this was the bedrock of the club. And this was, I mean, it all seems to have been pretty much jettisoned. Well, uh, do you want better? 
what about Sir Alex Ferguson? I mean, this is his appointment. He's a director at the club, right? Or so we're led to believe he's got some kind of position. Although, you know, given he hasn't spoken all season except uh, lecturing kids at Harvard, um, we have no idea what he thinks. But is he on board with this decision? Um, if, if I were Ed Woodward, um, the first thing I would do now, or better yet, since I'm start, starting to think that Ed Woodward's power is diminishing by the minute, if I was a Glazers, the first thing I'd do now is I would get Sir Alex to come out and and take a position, either you know, either backing the club, you know, saying like, well, you know, it didn't work out, we have to move on, United are bigger than Moyes, blah blah blah, or you know, if he's going to stick to his guns, disassociate himself from the club's decision and say, you know, I thought Moyes could have continued, I'll still back in the club, but you know, it, it's an elephant in the room that this was his guy. Yeah, so there's those two options would appear both to be very unpalatable to Alex Ferguson on the face of Gabriele. He, he The choices you lay out, lay out there involve him either admitting he made a mistake, which he just, I, I, can't, I can't ever see him really doing that. Maybe He, said, he did say he made a mistake about Yapstam. Yap yeah, he made one mistake. He sold Yapstam <laughs> in a fit of pique. Uh, but the other alternative involves him uh, going against Manchester United, essentially. That, and, and he is Manchester United. So in both ways, he would be somehow admitting a mistake. Well, going against the Glazers weren't necessarily the most popular people out there and going against Ed Woodward, who I don't think has a lot of credit right now. Um, you know, I, I think it would be kind of an adult thing to do and say, I still believe Moyes could have been good for this club, but, you know, I don't own the club. The owners made a different decision and I'll back and work with whoever comes in. But one way or another, you know, I, I think this whole low profile thing and this is a problem with the start. With I think with with Sir Alex was, I, I think that they played this incorrectly. I, I, I think if you're going to have Sir Alex still involved with the club, then he either takes an active role and speaks and becomes like a de facto director of football uh, and a support for Moyes, or you know he just disappears from the club altogether. Um, you know he he doesn't maintain a position and he doesn't you know go and show up in the stands and because all it does is. Uh, is turn the screws even more on, on Moyes. The sort of half in, half out thing, I don't think helped Moyes. Yeah, so he, he didn't actively support Moyes, but he, he published the best-selling book in Britain in 2013, in which he slagged off a whole host of people, but he didn't really, uh, at any point, convincingly go to bat for David Moyes. Now, I mean, David Moyes now is out of a job, and, and it seems that maybe one of the reasons the decision was was taken now is that it's after the Everton match uh, made it mathematically impossible for them to qualify for the Champions League. Um, and maybe that contract, the six-year uh, contract which they had given him, contained clauses uh, which made it easier for the club to to break the contract, you know, if they weren't met. I mean, if the club isn't in the Champions League, then maybe, you know, they don't, you know, the, the, the severance terms become more favourable to the club. I mean, it does seem that the timing seems more than coincidental on that front. What do you think is going to be the outlook now for David Moyes? Because, you know, once, he, once he's moved on from uh, the no doubt crushing personal impact of this, uh, this whole awful experience, what's the professional impact going to be? Um, like I, I may be in the minority here, but I think David Moyes is a very good manager who uh, did a very bad job. You know, it, it happens sometimes. You know, Messi uh, had an absolute stinker uh, recently against Atletico Madrid. Um, Zinedine Zidane, one of the greatest players of all time, um, you know, sort of lost his rag in a World Cup final and, uh, and cost his country the second World Cup, arguably. You know, great people 
um, or very good people, if you don't want to label Moise as great, um, sometimes make terrible mistakes. And in this case, um, you know, mistake upon mistake cost him his job. But uh, I think the qualities that led him to consistently overachieve over the years at Everton are still there. And I think in a different club, in a, in a different setting, um, I, I think he can be successful. He's an intelligent guy. He can learn from the mistakes uh, that were made at Manchester United. And, and he can bounce back. Uh, I think the worst thing that, that, that could happen, uh, and, and that's sadly to some degree I fear this will happen, people look at this and be like, oh, well, you know, it just doesn't work when you, when you try to, uh, you know, if you go for a manager who doesn't have big club experience uh, and, and, and you try to sort of uh, promote up the, up the food chain, you know, you need to go for, for a big-name boss. Um, and I would hope that uh, people don't, don't take this as evidence. I mean, I think if there's a great counter-argument, of course, in, in Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool. Ken, you're not as convinced as Gabriele that, about the effect on Moyes' future prospects? Sir? Well, I, I wonder, because, you know, I mean, something like this... I, I, I mean, Gabriele made the, made the comparison to Messi and Zidane, but can anybody, you know, can anybody have a 10-month or... 10 months stinker. What about the lessons, that, as Gabriele says, the lessons that he can learn here? He's now managed Manchester United. Okay, he did a bad job of it, but surely you know, you've got to learn an awful lot of, and there, potentially come back a, a better manager with clearly with a smaller club than Man United. Potentially, yes, but also a manager marked by failure. I mean, marked by failure in a, in a, in a almost a really profound way. You know, having become a figure of fun, you know, mocked by millions of people uh, every week. For the last nine months, I mean, it's, it's I I don't see this as a positive positive step in the in the history of David Moyes. Is that the biggest it's issue, Gabriele? Yeah, yeah, it's obviously not a positive step, but I I I just think that you know you you don't judge a guy um, based on one colossal screw up, even 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 a ten month screw up. You know, it's we, we've been here before. You know. Rafa Benitez was was sacked and you know unceremoniously he was sacked after six months in his first job after nine games in his second and then was relegated in his third job and if we were to think like that then we would just assume that he's a rubbish manager and and, and could never come back you know if, with Moyes there's a track record there um, I, I I think what's worth what will be worthwhile for Moyes is is and I'm sure he will do this is going back and reevaluating. You know, the decisions he made, the way they were made, um, you know, not lying to himself, but also isolating some of the key decisions um, that were mistakes that weren't entirely down to him. I mean, what happened last summer in, in the transfer market is absolutely unforgivable. Um, and, and I refuse to think that it was simply down to, to, to David Moyes, you know, this absurd chase for, for, for you know, being duped by one very well-known middleman into thinking that they could get Thiago Cantara or, or, or Cesc Fabregas. Isn't that part uh, of the problem, though, though, uh, Gabriel? The fact that um, David... I mean, for instance, you mentioned Rafael Benitez there. Certainly at Inter, he, he was, his, his time there was a disaster. He made damn sure uh, to point the finger of blame where he felt it belonged. I mean, he said after the Club World Championship, you know, I asked for this, I asked for that, and the club hasn't given me anything. And if they, and if they want me to go on, this is what they've got to do. And he made absolutely sure to blame, to, to, to shift the blame onto others. Whereas David Moyes appears to have taken it all on himself and, uh, and now he's paid the price for it. It's true, but it wasn't the shifting blame onto others that got Benitez another job after that. You know, because remember he was out of work for what two and a half years um, after after Inter Milan, 
um, you know, I, I think I think people people know what's up. Uh, I, <laughs> the, the, the summer was was absolutely horrible, um, but it was also you know down to the fact that there was a new chief executive who I think clearly was out of his depth in in operating um, in in the transfer market. Um, and the transfer market, I'd argue, has never really been Moyes' strong suit anyway. If ever there was an argument for Moyes working with the director of football, maybe even Sir Alex Ferguson in that role, you know, I, I think this was it. Uh, the really disappointing part with Moyes for me is that he reverted to this absurd safety-first mentality. Um, and, and United simply played played bad football. Um, and, and, and that... Is, is a tough call that he made. I think he couldn't cope with the pressure and he felt that somehow, oh, if I go safety first, then at least I'll finish top four and I'll save my job and then, you know, live to fight another day. Um, and, and then that didn't work. I mean, you know, this young Valencia on the wings. That and the other big failing was I really thought that some of these young players um, would kick on under Moyes. I, I would have thought that when he was hired, Sir Alex, you know, said to him and said to the board when we were recommending him, Look, you know, Smalling, Jones, Cleverly, Welbeck, these are all England internationals. You know, these are all guys who can improve. Um, and the fact of the matter is, none of the club's young players, with the possible exception of De Gea, um, you know, improved from, from last year to this year. And, and, and that is, for me, the, the toughest thing to take. All right, Gabriele, brilliant stuff as always. Thank you. My pleasure. I want to book a holiday. I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat and nice dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want, no, I have to be beach ready. So I need to be a regular saver. KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make savings simple. So you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call 1-800-515253 or pop into any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. What do you make of the idea that Alex Ferguson needs to take a stand here? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's not a case of... I don't think it's really a case of him needing to take a stand. I think we'll soon know hmm. what what his stand, in fact, is. You know, because if he if he doesn't... I mean, I suppose... The, well, the only stand to make is to come out in, and to, against the club. Otherwise, hmm. isn't that it really? A, the, or to stand up and say, look, uh, we all thought David Moyes was a fine man. Me, most of all. Uh, I thought he would be a wonderful manager of Manchester United. However, this is ridiculous. Look at the state of this. We've lost to everyone. You know, the, the, our players want to leave. Um, you know, everybody's lost faith. And, you know, we're not going to be in the Champions League. We can't tolerate this kind of mediocrity. And I'm really sorry because I believed in David and it was my fault. Mea culpa. Mea maxima culpa. I, Alex Ferguson, uh, picked the wrong man. You know, he could, he could say that. I, don't, I wouldn't expect necessarily to see that. But he could. That's a, one way of making a public statement which would support the club. Yeah. Um, but Ferguson's role is fascinating now. And what sort of, what sort of say he's going to have in the new manager coming in? What I would say is that Ferguson should probably have as much say as the other board members, which is to say, a small say. <laughs> <laughs> I, think he should, I think he should have a little bit of a input into the new manager. I don't think he should pick the new manager. 
No, I don't. It's clearly one one of the only things in football that Ferguson is not good at. Well, he can't coach, according to Joey Barton. Uh, yeah, I think they might try a different system, all right, this time. Um, for when they're going for for the new manager, but, but isn't it fascinating how the, how the how Ed Woodward how how the Glazers deal with Ferguson now? Whether he becomes a bit of a, I don't know, does he become a negative presence in some way? Is there are, are there issues surrounding Alex Ferguson? The one thing that he has, I'm not saying that, that you wipe away anything that he's done from, from right. before now, but in the current situation, you probably don't want him to pick the new manager. He might feel still that this is. He knows better than anyone else, and the Moyes thing was just an uh, aberration. Well, I would say I don't think having him there this season has really done David Moyes any good. Mm-hmm. You know, well, ha- has his presence helped to make things better than they would otherwise have been? I wouldn't say so. Uh, it's led to lots of speculation. Um, you know about you know the fact that he may in fact be overshadowing David Moyes. Moyes apparently went to speak to Ferguson quite a lot. They talked a lot about what was going on. Um, was the fact that he had Ferguson available as a sounding board of any real use to David Moyes? No. You know, if you're, if you're going to be the leader, you can't sort of go and ask. I'm not sure how often he went, though. Did he? I don't think it was, it was on a weekly basis. Or it's either he, he would, would speak to Ferguson pretty frequently really? after, yeah. after these games. I mean, I suppose, why wouldn't you? You know, I mean, I, you'd almost be interested to hear what, what Ferguson had to say. But maybe the point is that that's the manager of a club like Manchester United needs to be his own man, not to be perceived. I mean, if they were to hire somebody like Louis van Gaal, I don't think he's going to be talking to Alex Ferguson about what um, about what was going on. You know, I don't think he's going to be necessarily consulting with, with the great man. Okay, I will belatedly now attribute the earlier joke about David Moyes and how he should be allowed to address the crowd and uh, implore them to support a successor. I'll attribute it to Conor McNamara, BBC football commentator. See, I thought and it was Conor McNamara, but I didn't want to just lump something and then Conor McNamara may be listening. I don't know. I might go, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say, say a joke. <laughs> yeah, but he did. And yeah. it was one of the few funny-ish yeah. ones, I think. Uh, Toulon are up against Munster um, this weekend. Well, Munster are up against Toulon. More, more to the point. I've got two of the Irish Times team now. Jerry Thornley is in studio and Liam Tolden is ready to go as well. Jerry, you've got a quote in your piece today that some players will have to boldly go where their performance levels have never gone before if Munster are going to pull this one off somehow. I guess that could be daunting, maybe, for players. The idea that you have to play better than you've ever done in your career or if you look at it in a more positive way, it could be quite inspirational. You think of uh, Arthur Ashe against Jimmy Connors in the Wimbledon final or, I don't know, Buster Douglas against Mike Tyson. It can be very inspiring and history has taught us throughout the course of the Heineken Cup that it generally inspires Munster. They've had 13 semi-finals, 11 of them on the road, I think eight in France. You know, the draw has never been kind to them. Heaven knows how many more Heineken Cup finals they might have made than the four they got to or how many more they might have won with a better draw. So the, the odds are daunting, but I think it will inspire them. You know, when a team or an individual in a sport has got nothing to lose, they can play with it. And, and it there's a, sure there's an element of fear, but they can also swing from it. They can have a real goal because they're not expected to win. And I think it's not a bad place for them to be in mentally. They've, um, they've proven their Heineken Cup pedigree over the years. It's a new team compared to the one that went to Toulon four years ago in the pool stage. It's a surprise that only four players remained for the match day 23. Just showed you the um, transition that was wrought under the latter stages of Tony McGann's reign and now through the Rob Penny era. 
And yeah, I mean, a player like Damien Varley happily embraced this, that it is the biggest game of his life and he's going to have to produce the performance of his career and so will a few others. But I think they have got the bit between their teeth and they know what they're about and it also might be helpful for them that they saw firsthand what happened to Leinster when they went there. It's interesting, you mentioned fear there briefly. The, sometimes that is the motivation or certainly you hear that after a team has achieved a shock victory. They've said, they sometimes say, well, what happened was we went out and we were afraid that if we didn't front up and play as well as we could, we could have got hammered out there. That, is, that doesn't seem to be coming from the Munster side this time or have they been talking about that at all, the idea that if we don't play well, we could lose by 20 points? They haven't said that yet. Their media day is in Cork later today. I'm going down to it. I wouldn't be surprised if there is something more like that when it, when, when we get around to talking to them. I yeah, there's a, I don't they don't want to build Toulon up too much, but then Toulon are what they are. They're the they've got to have the biggest budget of any club or province in, in the global game. They supposedly have a 10 million uh, salary cap, but I mean at least 10 of their players on half a million or more per year. So it seems hard to rationale that one. The, they they must dwarf the monster budget by at least two, if not three times. Um, they've got all these Galacticos I mean Brian Abana might make, make the team he's only just come back from injury and scored a try they've got Johnny Wilkins and Matt Gitto all the rest of them they, they don't particularly feed the French team they just bring in world superstars and they are the reigning champions and they've just demolished Leinster in the, well beaten Leinster handsomely in the quarter final and I think Munster will go better because of that they will learn tactically from things that Leinster didn't do that day it's very easy in the cheap seats to say that Leinster maybe tackled a bit too high they weren't as intense enough to break down you look at the uh, the, dyna- the dynamic way Munster played against the, uh, Toulouse in the quarter-final. And they also will have learned from their own semi-final against Claremont last year when they started a bit slowly. Claremont played every bit as well last year against Munster in the semi-final as Toulon did in the quarter-final against Leinster this year. Yet you suspected that Munster could hang in there. They were on the ropes for sure in that first half, but even by the end of half, towards half-time, they were unlucky not to get a penalty under the posts. And they came knocking in the second half and came within a, a bounce of the ball of winning that game against the Claremont team who were inspirational on the day. So there will be difficult moments for sure. And uh, there may be some early on in particular. But I do think that if Leinster had played a lot better and it was very interesting to hear Leinster coming out afterwards and so repeatedly saying they did not play as well as they could have. I think if Munster bring the intensity they brought to the breakdown against Toulouse and there's no reason why they won't, then they will... Um, they could conceivably take Toulon into a one-score game in the last 20 minutes, which would be very, very interesting. Liam Toland, what's the mood like in Limerick at the moment? Is, is this as optimistic uh, that supporters have been about the team uh, as they have been for a long time, do you think? I think just walking around Limerick own, there's a, I suppose it's a dark reality um, facing Munster's journey to Toulon, and there's definitely um, a feeling that this could go horribly wrong and a little like what Jerry is talking about there that uh, that the, the shackles are off because there's no real expectation from the crowd who who are travelling out. Uh, in the past, of course, after the Miracle match in Toulouse back in, when it was a 2000, 2001, that really sparked that Munster could achieve in France. Uh, I think that there's a realistic uh, approach to this one where the, the general public are, are realise that Toulon um, not only have a, a, a superb side, but they have a side that looks like a rugby team, which is kind of flies in the face of, of the, the multi-millionaire uh, squad that they have. And I think back to Backy's Botha when he played a game last year in the top 14, he just looked awesome in his performance but his mental attitude was extraordinary like where he has achieved so much in a, in a Springbok jersey to come to Toulon and if for it to mean so much to him there must be some special ingredient in the middle of all of that money that gets them to gel and they did so against Leinster and they were absolutely frightening I don't know can they raise their, their game again to that level as they did against Leinster 
Liam, just uh, a lot of what you talked about there was really what Toulon are all about. But are Munster supporters, are you yourself, are you not confident in Munster's ability, which they've shown now uh, in, in a couple of big games, particularly probably the three best performances in the last couple of seasons have been Heineken Cup knockout games. Are you confident that they can at least deliver their side of the bargain and make Toulouse work for this? Or yeah, Toulon, I should say, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Looking at, 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 this is the confusing thing about Munster, because looking at the game against Connacht, which they won reasonably well uh, at the weekend, you know, 32-23, uh, they were 27-8 uh, up at half time, and they struggled in many ways. If you look at the performance between that and Glasgow, and you take out the negative side of the stuff, you say, like, Munster really struggle in a number of areas. The real area that they struggle in is their ability to play error-free rugby on the gain line. Certainly against Glasgow and Thoman Park, any time they got themselves into great position, they cocked up the ball very, very cheaply in attempting to try and play on the gain line. Now, interestingly, against Connacht, Connacht actually played superb rugby in their back line on the gain line and really threatened Munster's defence, which is the second part of the jigsaw. The first is that Munster struggled to, to really convert that type of pressure. Now, they did so against Toulouse, who in many ways were fading as, as the game went on. The second part is the defence. Connacht scored a couple of tries. Um, and you look at Vanden, Heaver, that's a real question mark. Who are they going to pick in their back three? Because certainly him and and I thought Andrew Conway had a super game against Connacht. But both of them have a tendency to, to, to defend four up off scrums, etc. And they allow the speedster to get outside them trusting their own pace to catch back. And Van der Hever was clean two or three times in a very, very embarrassing way. So the defence of, of what Toulon can do would be very, very interesting. The Munster line-out then certainly struggles at time when they throw it to the front or the middle. Connacht did intercept a couple, so the, the trajectory of the ball was, was, a, was a problem and their ability to get the line-out mall was a struggle as a result of it. So there's a number of areas in terms of the process that you worry about, Munster. But then when it comes to the Heineken Cup, they bring a level of intensity that kind of plasters over all of that. And I would be concerned about how Munster can play the ball through the hands. And that goes back to the errors again. 23 turnovers against Glasgow, some of them off line out, some of them over silly uh, um, uh, handling errors and that sort of stuff. So there are worrying aspects to Munster's processes that seem, when they go into the intensity Heineken Cup, to just vanish um, which is miracle stuff. But you can't expect it to vanish every single time. And Toulon, we have to accept. If they play with the intensity that they did against Leinster, it's going to be very difficult for Munster. And one of the things about that Leinster game that Toulon did, like Toulon should have scored four or five tries in the opening 10 minutes and didn't. And part of that was the scrambling defence and the organisation within the Leinster defence, which was absolutely sensational to prevent those tries. Munster can bring that as well. So there's lots and lots of really good things about Munster's game. But when you look at the cold facts of the analysis, it can be very worrying. Jay, do you think that the, do you agree with Liam that the intensity of their performance of the occasion in in these Highland Cup knockout games can sometimes paper over uh, the issues that are there. Completely. I mean, they, they didn't come with a nasty roar of the playoffs of the Rabo Pro 12 last year, yet came within a bounce of the ball to reach the Heineken Cup final against what was probably the best side in Europe last year. Last year's tournament was a rare occasion of the best team not actually winning the, the Heineken Cup because of what went wrong for Claremont in the final. The worrying aspect for them this time is around that they're probably again playing the best team in the competition away from home in France and that Toulon are now the form side in France as well. They've hit their best form probably in the Bernard Laporte era. They've won eight of their last nine matches. They've gone top of the top 14. They came within a, one game of a, a Heineken Cup top 14 double and they're the one team probably in Europe that has the squad 
to complete a top 14 Heineken Cup double. Munster don't have that kind of squad depth, but you know they weren't anywhere near full strength last week, except Liam's points about the defensive play of Van der Heever and Andrew Conway, um, more so Van der Heever. But we know that almost certainly Rob Penny will go back to the team that beat Toulouse in the quarterfinal. And I still think when they put their big guns out in a Heineken Cup game, there's another factor here as well, that com- by comparison to Leinster, you know, they weren't off bulk suppliers. They were very light suppliers to the Ireland Six Nations campaign. That, you would imagine, has fostered a huge amount of resentment and hunger within their ranks. And it, it also meant that they haven't been, they haven't had to go to the well so often. An awful lot of their leading lights, apart from Paul O'Connell and Conor Murray and Peter Armani, who's now not there. I mean, even Tommy O'Donnell was involved, but he must be straining at the leash. And everybody else in the squad then was on the outside looking in. By comparison, you had um, Leinster bulk suppliers up to 17 players who contributed to the Six Nations. Nine or ten of the starting team played throughout the Six Nations. That's five big, epic cup tie matches. Pretty much World Cup finals, or, sorry, um, cup finals. And then you come along, you play Munster two weeks after that, and then you've got to pitch up against Toulon away from home. And it just looked to me like maybe you you can go to the well so often, and they're a little bit dry in the day, and you look at the performance of Gordon Darcy and Brian O'Driscoll, they were never that porous during the Six Nations. Um, but that takes you to the key, and that probably is Bastereau, because if Bastereau gets rumbling, and he got rumbling against Ireland and Paris, and he certainly got rumbling against Leinster, again, it's very easy in the cheap seats to say you go too high against Bastereau. You would imagine they will look to try and chop tackling Bastereau and get the second man in over the ball. Again, that's easier said than done, but you would imagine they would have learned a few things from that from the way that Leinster went down there, and that they will actually try and stop Bastereau in his tracks, get up in his face, and bring him down lower. Well, I do just want to go back to Peter Manny, one of the names mentioned by Jerry there, and his absence, because we, we talk about the intensity and all of that, but um, O'Manny seems to be able to bring that with the discipline that's required at this level of rugby. Uh, Liam, I know CJ Stander performed extremely well, particularly against Toulouse when he came in as, as a sub, but in a game against Toulon away from home, is this where O'Manny's absence is going to be really keenly felt? Yeah, like what's really impressive, I remember the first time seeing uh, Omani play for Munster a couple of seasons ago and technically around the breakdown, he was just sensational. And remember now he's six foot four or whatever he is. He's a much taller version than Armitage and Bastro and these guys. Yet his technique was just perfect. Uh, in around the ball was excellent. When it's, uh, the lines he ran uh, on support lines was very, very good. And that's oh, that concept is going to be so important at the weekend because it's not just the the role of the ball carrier, which that's a part of what Munster uh, are struggling with at times. Certainly someone like Kilcoyne has been sensational out of the gap and very, very good guy to carry the ball. But others uh, don't dominate the tackle zone as, as much as you, you, you'd you like. That's why having a Peter Mahoney as a trail runner is so important because he can get in, he has the technique to be able to get in and, cl- and, and trap over the ball. Remembering the damage that Toulon did to Leinster's breakdown, it wasn't just the tackle, what, what Toulon did, is the next man in, three, four, five, or six of those players were able to get in over the ball. Peter Manny has that skill set and has that ability to rob back as well. Those key steals mentally are enormous. They lift you. Ever see Peter Manny when he did it for Ireland? The reaction of his teammates has been sensational. It's a huge emotional lift. Then you slow down the pace of the ball. And if you think of the first 10 minutes, for Leinster, simply hadn't a chance to slow down the ball. Those steals allow you to do that. And the best part of it is you get the turnover, possibly a penalty or certainly a scrum. So Peter Manny's loss in that area is 
it's uncountable. Not to mention his leadership and he's matured as well. I think about a, about 18 months ago, he was very aggressive in around all the aggro that goes on in a match. Uh, a typical blindside monster, blindside wing forward monster's role in many senses. But he's evolved into a leadership role too and there's a calming aspect to what he's brought so into his game. So what can CJ Stander bring from that? I, I, nobody can ever replicate what another player does exactly, but what can Stander bring to the table assuming he plays? Yeah, well, first of all, he's a different body shape. He's much more powerful in many ways and he's good all handoff and he's, he's a real barnstorming blindside as well. A very different player in a sense, probably more uh, tuned to carrying and heavy traffic than Peter Amani would be. So he would have to play his own game in many ways. He doesn't get the same amount of steals as Amani does. He doesn't do the same role as Amani does. You can't expect him to mimic as you're hinting there in that sense. But what he has to do, he has to, in France, certainly, your blindside wing forward and maybe one of your second rows has to be the type of guy who really powers into big hits and starts putting the guy Toulon guys down. If I give him no other role, it would be to, to make in the opening 15 minutes absolute smash tackles, like Trevor Brennan-style stuff, to put back uh, Toulon and stop them dead. That kind of thing will lift your teammates enormously. But to expect them to play Peter Manny's role, they're, they're different players. Well, any back row forward worth of salt, Jerry, if they're told, given that order to go out and smash the mm-hmm. much-touted opponents, should be happy enough going in with that mindset. Absolutely. And it would be terminal for Munster's chances if Paul O'Connell wasn't there as well. But you do have O'Connell, the outstanding Irish forward of the professional era, possibly any other era, and a great leader. And whenever he plays, you can throw a blanket over the pack, whether it be Munster or Ireland. They, all play, they play as a pack 20-25% better when Paul O'Connell is there. And there's a good chance that will happen again. They will bring their maul. O'Connell will be one of those who will step out of the line and make those big hits. So his his presence, to some degree, atones for the lack of Peter Manny there, for sure. You would like those steals. But I think back to Liam's point about the quarterfinal between Toulon and Leinster, and he's right about the damage that Toulon wrought at the breakdown. It was probably where they won the game in terms of slowing down or turning over ball. And it's very interesting the way Bernard Laporte uses Stefan Armitage. He's an out-and-out poacher and a very good carrier. And they play him at eight on the basis that they, if he played him at seven, he'd have to tackle more. By playing him at eight, he can get over the ball more and play more to his strengths. And it, and it works really well for them. He's been moved there in this long winning run of theirs. He was outstanding again at the weekend against Perpignan in Barcelona, scored a great try. So he's, he's, it, somehow negating him would be a huge factor in any chance Munster have. I wondered if Sean O'Brien had been fit in that quarterfinal. If you had that ball carrying dimension, maybe break, get through a few tackles. It makes it far more difficult for a poacher to come if he has to come back around over the gate and, and win a ball if you're getting over the gain line. CJ Stander will give them the chance of getting over the gain line. He is a fantastic carrier. He's a better carrier than Peter Romani, so he does bring other strengths to the party. And we saw in that quarterfinal against Toulouse with his corner flagging on Yo and Uge saving a try and one vital steal after the um uh, the the gear try that got Toulouse back in the game. Toulouse were on top for a while. He made one great poach himself. So he can bring other strengths to the party. I think Tommy O'Donnell's a fine player, as you know, and I don't need a super quarterfinal. You should clear out in the lead up to one of the tries he made, his, his general presence around the breakdown. I think, you know, he will be fresher than a lot of the Leinster players who have, like I said, gone to the well too often. So there's a different dynamic there. But uh, CJ Stander gives them a bit more carrying, which you also need to take on a Toulon side. You can't just defend all the time. You have to make a few line busts. You have to get over the game line. And the likes of Kilcoin and Stander gives them a better chance of doing that. Another team selection issue or is a team personnel issue is the uh, out half. Uh, JJ Hanrahan is out. So mm-hmm. in Keith Leap would play all 80, I, I would have thought, unless there's an injury there. But if there is an injury or something happens, Conor Murray's being talked about as a reserve out half, perhaps. Is that how light they are? in that area and has Conor Murray got the kind of game that if they're 
caught with 20 minutes to go, he can see it out from number 10. You wouldn't have thought so, given his one own... His, the last time he played um, was, I think, uh, Munster under 18 against under, Ulster under 18, under 20 match, 3-0 epic win, he get, kicked the yeah. only penalty. I, I, mean, I, 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 get, I guess it's not, quite, it's not quite Peter Romani having to go out in the wing no. for Ireland, but I mean, it's... It's, it's not a million miles. Maybe it's harder again. Yeah, it's yeah, not a million miles removed. Half, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, no, it's not ideal. You wouldn't want yeah. that to happen. No, perish the thought. Simply yeah. put, you wouldn't want the, you wouldn't think that Munster would have a chance in hell if Conor Murray ends up playing a large chunk of the game without half. Wonderful all-round footballer he is. I tell you what, though, if he plays the full 80 like he did against Toulouse, it's another great chance they have because he was outstanding against Toulouse in the quarter-final. Really outstanding. And some people accuse him of white line fever by making breaks for his own of the line. But he got over the game line and ensured quick ball that led to at least two of the tries. And that physicality and that presence he brings is just what you're going to need against Toulon in a Heineken Cup semi-final in Marseille. Keekley is one of those, I presume, that Penny had in mind, a bit like CJ Stander, a bit like Damien Varney, Dave Foley, others, who will, for whom this is probably the biggest game of their lives, and they will have to produce the performance of their careers. But it's been very encouraging to see his composure in the last while, and particularly in that quarterfinal. It seems as if there's a new maturity again in his game. He's gone on another level in the last couple of months, and he does seem very composed, and his goal-kicking is very good, and you want that as well. Liam, what uh, can... Uh, Jerry alluded to uh, one or two of the... The things that they, maybe Munster can learn from the Leinster game, what Munster should bring to this that Leinster didn't bring, aside from the fact that Leinster just didn't perform to their own levels, stopping Matthew Bassero seems pretty key. What would you say that Munster can actually do and have they got enough in their locker or enough um, weapons that maybe Leinster didn't possess? Um, I think what's in any game you expect to have at least 50% of possession and certainly if Munster go into the game uh, and ultimately have less than that I think they're going to struggle so the first part is to get the ball and I think Leinster would have experienced that in the opening 10-15 minutes they simply couldn't touch the ball and the challenge with that is that when Toulon have it on the good surface that they played in that particular day and I assume it will be similar again on Sunday is that it's almost impossible to land a punch it's almost impossible to land a hit and as a former back row player when you're playing in that pace if you're going slightly back you can't even make the hit and for all Paul O'Connell will try and CJ Standard will try it's impossible so you need to get possession for a start now where Munster have struggled at times is the line-out sometimes misfires and the trajectory of the ball as I hinted at earlier on sometimes a little flat um, Toulon have enough guys in their line-out to be able to intercept the, intercept the ball that would be a disaster if they start coughing up uh, turnovers at line-out so they must hold on to that I think another thing they need to do is they, it hasn't worked brilliantly uh, certainly against Connacht but their line-out mall is something they really need to do that soaks up time but it also gives the, the forwards uh, a forward momentum as well so that's a huge part of it the scrum has been very very impressive at times and certainly with BJ Bota there they've done uh, a huge amount of work remember back to Leinster and the Aviva they destroyed the Leinster scrum for many reasons we've discussed in the past and uh, that's a huge part of it too my concern is 10, 12 and 13 at times they struggle and if you add to that the potential of Conor Murray playing at 10, who has all the skill set to play in nearly any position he wants to play, but if he goes into that, the time available to him to execute his skills will be far less than he needs. So he might start to drift back a bit away from the, the Toulon chasing line defence, which puts Munster back deeper. And I think one of the challenges Munster have is that they play the ball very deep and they don't threaten any defence and they don't ask any questions of defence. And at times against Connacht, they simply couldn't get the ball 
in any direction anyway. And they relied on intercept scores and turnovers, which they converted brilliantly. But in terms of creating that, that's a that's a challenge. They need to be able to play the ball that suits them. And at times on the game line, they struggle. So that's a part of their game that they have to improve. And one of the simplest ways, if James Downey is playing at 12, is to get him running into Mishlak if he's playing at 10 or whoever's playing at 10. It's a little old school stuff, but get to the game line quickly, limit the, the complexity of the backline moves uh, and maintain possession. They're kind of three yep. simple ones. Their kicking game as well is, is of huge importance, finding green grass um, and and then the chasing line. We saw them against, in, against Harlequins in the stoop last season where they actually played sucker punches on Harlequins. They allowed Mike Brown, who was a sensational counter-attacking fullback, they gave him the ball and said, right, come at us. And they absolutely smashed him. In other words, they used a Harlequin's strength uh, to, to, as they flipped it on his side. All right. they, said, they said, Brown will actually counter-attack and we're going to make the most of that. Very briefly, Liam, uh, who's going to be in the Heineken Cup final this year? Uh, I, I really, really hope, obviously, Munster. But on this one, I think that Toulon, if, if they can bring any, if they bring the intensity that they did against Leinster, I think it'll be Toulon. And in the second semi, well, it's the first semi, but the, the, the uh, yeah. Saracens game. Uh, Liam? Yeah, I, I would say, Owen, that it depends who Saracens pick at 10 um, between Farrell. Um, but I think at home, uh, they have a great, great chance to beat Claremont. So I, I, I think Saracens could get through at the weekend. Jerry? Yeah, fierce Saracens might win. I'd rather Claremont got there. Um, um, and... You know, I think Claremont deserve another crack at this. I thought with a different referee, no disrespect to Elaine Roland, but he's harder on offensive teams than he has defensive teams. And Claremont were done a couple of times for players going off their feet that other referees wouldn't have done them for at times when they were on top and playing all the rugby against Toulon in last year's final. I think if Nigel Owens had been the referee, they might well have won it and they'd now be European champions. So I'd like to see them get another crack at it. I'm not sure that they will, though, because they're not the team they were last season. Clearly there's trouble in that camp. But they might have it in them. They might, you know, they, they might just preserving themselves for this Heineken Cup. They, it means more to them than winning actually the top fourteen. As for Toulon Munster, look, I think I think Munster could really rattle Toulon's cage, and I think they put up a better fight than Leinster did for the reasons we've outlined already. And if they get to within a score with twenty to go, they've got a real chance. And I wouldn't put it beyond them. But you look at Toulon's form, and you must you just think of the sheer power they will bring to the game. The Danny Russo, Juan Smith, Matthew Bastro, Stefan Armitage. Rugby has become a little bit boring, one-dimensional collision rugby, and and Toulon epitomised what the modern game is about. Just this unrelenting battery of big, heavy-hitting, hard-tackling, hard runners that keep coming at you for 80 minutes, and then they can spring them from the bench as well. And You'd have to make them favourites. It's hard to dispute with the bookies making Toulon eight-point favourites. I think Munster will get closer than that. All right, Jerry, we'll leave it there. Listen, thanks a million to Jerry Thornley and also to Liam Tolland. Enjoy the game, lads. Shane, Shane, Shane Curran with the kick-out. The 42-year-old goalkeeper. Curling it out from goal. Here he comes. He tucked it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time a senior child to come out of here. And the one, 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 with the last one. Bam. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl sad. Are you buying into this idea, Ken, that we're supposed to hate Toulon? Uh, they're the first super, well, maybe not the first super rich rugby club, but they certainly are the, they're doing probably the most with their money um, and getting a lot of success because they don't really, they ignore their academy, they don't really have a structure, just buy loads of great players, stick them all together, and it looks like they they could well win a second hand cup in a row. Yeah. It's, it's a newer idea in rugby, and I think it's taking some people, such as Neil Francis, um, to name one. He wrote an interesting column on this last week. A, a bit of time to get used to it. A lot of people doesn't it rubs a lot of people up the wrong way. 
Well, it's great for the players. Who are playing for them. Maybe the ex-players don't like it because they've got that thing now that ex-players in football have had to deal with for so long of watching current players make many, many, multiple multiples of many, many, many times the salary that they were yeah. able to make, well, which in fact, in case of rugby players, was here at the time, yeah. Yeah, so I can understand maybe it does go against the old school ethos of rugby union that players could earn obscene amounts. But, you know, if a, if a club wants to do what Toulon are doing and throw huge amounts of money at, at constructing a new team, that is good news for players in the professional They game. seem to be doing something right in, in terms of the players they're throwing the money at because we've seen other clubs not quite have that level of success and we're going to talk on Thursday's show to Shane Jennings going to pop into studio because he saw firsthand what they were all about in that Huntington Cup quarter final and he'll give us a little bit of advice maybe if the if Munster want to listen uh, and um, to just sort of get a feel for what it's uh, what it's going to be all about against Toulon but that's going to be on Thursday's show coming up later today Ken that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really uh, you can laugh I'm to walk up I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six oh, and a half years. I'd say it to your face, not say it to me. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here, you surely man? <laughs> I think I have an idea, Ken, but what's coming up in the football show? We're going to talk a little bit more about this news of David Moyes' departure from Manchester United. Um, consider what went wrong and what maybe could have happened. Richie Sadler's going to be here. We're going to talk to John Bruin. We're also going to talk about some other things, though, because the world goes on outside this mm. little bubble of David Moyes. Well, there is such a thing as uh, Champions League semi-finals. Champions League uh, semi-finals are on this week. Chelsea having a bit of a meltdown yeah. on the weekend. Liverpool uh, are now five points clear at the top of the table with three games to go. So uh, it's, it looks like it's out. Uh, I don't know if this has happened to you, but you know the way over the years, the odd time we've interviewed a sports person and gone, geez, they're, they're really, they're great guys. And you really hope then they do well in their next game. But often it goes the other way. I'll give you an example. I mentioned Shane Jennings. We're going to be talking to him later in the week. Kieran Murphy was saying when he was watching Leinster against Munster, uh, he, Shane Jennings had a superb game that day, and he was he was uh, purely because Shane Jennings had come in and and uh, done a couple of interviews with us yeah. and was incredibly nice. Uh, suddenly he had even he was rooting even more for that person. Well, Ken Doherty again would be the epitome of that. Yes, you interview Ken, you you, you really hope that things are going to go well after you've interviewed him, and lo and behold, he qualifies for the World Championship, having missed last year's. Now is into the second round for the first time since uh, I haven't got the exact year. It's, it's 2006. 2006, which is incredible. Beat Stuart Bingham. I saw him interviewed yesterday on the BBC. So he came into the BBC appeared to have some sort of a, a greenhouse that they um, broadcast from for some reason. I don't know at the uh, at the snooker. Uh, they had him in there, standing at the table, looking absolutely delighted. And they had already played a bit of a package with him, showing the highlights and showing post match interviews and this kind of thing. And he was just so good. He was saying that. He was getting really emotional towards the end of his last frame because this is the as I mentioned, it's been a long time since he's uh, he's been into the second round. He was Hazel Irvin's put to him, well, why are we getting emotional? You've been here a million times before, and he said, yeah, it's just different though. You know, it's it's uh, now my aim is to get is to is to win a match here, and it become that becomes the big deal. I'm paraphrasing here somewhat, but I was just taken by the fact that he said it was the first time he's become really emotional. He had to pull himself together towards the end of the match because yeah. he said probably hasn't happened since '97 that he's felt that way. It's just amazing. So many years after your biggest achievement, yeah. that you can then still take almost as much joy in what on the face of it is a much smaller achievement, but it just mm. depends where you're at in your career and where your mind is at. So just great to see Ken Doherty happy. That's all I'm saying. It is. I'm, I always like to see my fellow man happy, but Ken Doherty more than most. Thanks, Ken. 
Thank you. Thanks very much for listening. Kira Murphy is on holiday uh, at the moment, but he will be back later on in the week. That's why you haven't heard his uh, heard his voice today. But uh, we look forward to chatting to you for Second Captains Football a little bit later on. You can follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. We'll talk more Moyes later. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 